You're listening to a podcast from the Royal Irish Academy. In this episode, Rural Conversation Number One, the first in a series of three rural stakeholder events focusing on delivering economic development in rural Ireland. This roundtable feedback event, hosted in NUI Galway on the 8th of November 2018, elicited stakeholders' contributions on the future of economic development for rural Ireland. The event was introduced by Pauline McNamara, Program Manager for Humanities and Social Sciences at the Royal Irish Academy. Good afternoon, everybody. You're very welcome to this first event on Rural Conversations. My name is Pauline McNamara, and I'm the Program Manager for the Humanities and Social Sciences Committees in the Royal Irish Academy. I'm going to welcome up, first of all, Professor Nicholas Canney, who is a former president of the Royal Irish Academy and former VP for Research at NUI Galway and founding director of the Moore Institute for Research in the Humanities and Social Sciences in NUIG, will give you welcome on behalf of the Royal Irish Academy. And then uh, Mr. William Parnell, who is the Assistant Secretary General for Rural Development and Regional Affairs Division in the Department of Rural and Community Development. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and uh, it's my pleasure on behalf of Peter Kennedy, who is president of the Academy, to welcome you on behalf of the Academy to this event, and to give you some general understanding of the Academy's role in affairs. The Academy, like all national academies, is a relatively small body of women and men, mostly attached to the universities, uh, and uh, they tried to broaden their brief by having a series of committees which promote research in all ranges of uh, science, social science, and humanities. And one of the committees is in social science, which is chaired at the moment by Professor Anya Highland, who herself is an educationalist. And uh, one of the areas that it has decided to develop on this occasion is uh, rural development. And the Academy is particularly interested in this because this particular research program is providing it it with an opportunity to reach out into the rural areas and to the institutes of technology as well as the universities because the academy has had historically has had relatively little relationship with the institutes of technology so this this uh, ria rural conversation series uh, has been set up in conjunction with nui galway where we are today and waterford institute of technology and then all of the bodies that you represent and that you are the audience, but you will be traveling around to the different areas. The, the program itself is being funded by the Department of Rural and Community Development. So in that sense, we have to make mention of uh, Minister Michael Ring, who is the minister in question, uh, to Sean Kine, who was the junior minister and represents this constituency uh, into a r- relatively recently, and to Sean Kenny who uh, is in the neighboring constituency, who now has taken over from Sean Kine in that particular brief. So the Academy and all of you, I think, particularly appreciate the support which the department is providing. And then we want also to thank the people in the constituent 
elements. So Dr. Felicity Kelleher from Waterford Institute of Technology, which is going to be one of your locations. And I think Felicity is on the Rural Affairs Committee in the Academy. And uh, Carlo Donoghue, uh, Dean of Arts and many other things at this university, uh, who is uh, the convener of this particular meeting. And I think we owe hospitality to that. So I think with those words of thanks and appreciation on behalf of the Academy, I hand over to Henry Parnell, who is going to speak in part of the department. Uh, thanks very much, Nicholas. Um, so I'm William Parnell from the Department of Rural and Community Development. Um, I know a lot of you. I know a lot of you from my current role. I know a lot of you from previous roles that I've had in various departments. So it's great to see such a good turnout here of people that have a lot of knowledge and a lot of expertise um, in many different spheres that impact on rural Ireland. Um, I want to thank uh, the RIA initially for organising this event uh, and indeed to NUIG for hosting us today. Um, as Pauline has already said, this is the first in a series of three events that are being organised by the RIA in association with the department under the theme of Rural Conversations. And today's event is focusing on economic development in rural Ireland, while the subsequent events, um, and they'll be held in the first quarter of 2019, will focus on social inclusion mm -hmm. and sustainable rural communities, respectively. And, you know, each of those th themes are interrelated and interdependent. And it's very, very timely that these events are taking place at this time. Ireland, as we know, has come out of a lengthy period of recession, and the country is moving to a new, a new phase of development. And both nationally and internationally, there are technological, environmental and political developments which present both opportunities and challenges for the way that we live and work, whether that's in urban areas or in, in, in rural areas. And we're still not clear exactly what the impact of issues such as Brexit and artificial intelligence and climate change will have on our country. But we do know for certain that they will have an impact. So the Rural Conversations series provides us with an opportunity at an early stage to explore some of these issues. And the dialogues that we'll have with you and with other stakeholders will help to inform the next phase of Ireland's policy on rural development. And you know, sometimes um, the media would, would, would have, have you believe that nothing is happening around rural Ireland, but, but that's, that's not an accurate reflection. And even over the last five years or so, there has been an increased focus on the need to support the economic and social development of rural Ireland. So in 2014, uh, the CEDRA report um, reported to government with a series of recommendations to support economic development in rural areas. And a number of you that are here today were heavily involved in the development of, of that report. And then in 2017, the government published the Action Plan for Rural Development, and that built on the CEDRA report. And it brought together for the first time a whole of government approach to both the economic and social development of rural areas. And then last year, a dedicated department with responsibility for rural and community development was established by the Taoiseach, and, and headed, as Nicholas just said, by Minister Michael Ring. 
And Minister Ring has placed a very strong emphasis on changing the narrative around rural Ireland and recognising the enormous contribution which rural economies and rural societies make to our overall national development. And the Minister talks often about how you know, rural Ireland is dynamic, it's got a wealth of talent, it's got lots of good companies working from often very remote rural areas and showing that rural Ireland isn't dead, rural Ireland is very much alive. And earlier this year, to, to support that emphasis on rural development, the government launched Project Ireland 2040 and a new €1 billion Euro, uh, Rural Regeneration and Development Fund. And that shows a real level of, of intent with a multi-annual budget of that scale. Um, and we're currently working through the assessment of the first batch of applications under that fund. Similarly, the action plan for rural development has been progressing very well, and that plan runs up to the end of 2019. So within the department, we are now turning our attention to the next phase of rural development policy, to build on those developments to date, to build on the SEDRA report and to build on the action plan, and to capitalise on the money and the, the intent that is in Project Ireland 2040 around supporting rural development and our rural fabric. So that's why, as a department, we're delighted to be associated with the RIA in hosting this series of rural conversations. These events will be the start of a series of dialogues with stakeholders, which will feed into our next phase of rural development policy. We, we live in a world that's changing more rapidly than it ever has done before, but with less certainty than ever before. But I think we have to make sure that rural areas are in a position to adapt to those changes and they're not left behind. So in this series of dialogues, we very much want to focus on the future for rural Ireland and rural communities. We want to be looking forward, not just looking backwards. As the National Planning Framework points out, rural economies need to diversify and capitalise on the opportunities that will present themselves in the coming years, whether that's as a result of climate change or new technologies. And yes, there will be challenges along the way, as well as the opportunities. But rural communities, as we all know here in this room, have overcome many obstacles before. So we do have, as I said earlier, a tremendous font of knowledge and exper expertise and experience on rural development in the room today. And by pooling our ideas and through further consultation, we can develop a clear direction to realise the potential for rural Ireland into the future. So I look forward to hearing the ideas that emerge from our discussion today. And I'm going to hand over to Professor Cahill Donoghue, who will set the scene for us and tee up the questions that we have for you to consider at the round table. So thank you very much. Thank you, William. Um, thanks for, for the introduction. And on behalf of the university, um, very welcome to NUI Galway. Um, we're delighted, I guess, as one of the leading uh, rural research centres in the country, uh, my colleagues in geography and, and in other parts of the university, we're delighted to partner with the Royal Irish Academy and the Social Science Committee in hosting the first of these rural uh, conversations. Um, William has presented a lot of the context. We're, more, we're four years 
um, from the end of the CEDRA process, and it's very good to see very many of those who were involved here. Um, I, I headed the Secretariat and had the responsibility um, for, for managing the, the consultation. I think we had 100 meetings in, in that year all over the country in every county, and the preparation of the research reports and the, and the final reports. Uh, it's great to, to see um, such high impact um, from, from work that's been done. And it's, um, I guess it's, it's evidence that, um, that the government responds to initiatives like these. It does look out to, to, to seek to learn lessons um, from those um, with expertise in relation to rural economic development. A lot has changed since 2014. It's a completely different world. As we did the consultation in, in 2012-2013, uh, although we, we probably didn't really realize at the time we were just coming out of, out of a recovery, the narrative in the country, particularly in rural Ireland, uh, was one of, of still being in crisis. And it, it, the, the narrative was, was that of, um, uh, of decline and, and what can be done. Uh, the narrative completely changed now, uh, but there are still challenges. Um, as William highlighted, this, this is the first of a, a process of three. Um, today, uh, I'm going to give some contextual information in terms of the, uh, what's happening in, in rural areas for, and regional, the regional economy relative to, to Dublin. And then we're going to um, discuss three different questions, uh, which I'll lead you through uh, over, over a couple of hours. Um, the conversation that will happen afterwards in terms of the feedback um, from, um, from group chairs, I think that will be recorded and that will be available online relatively shortly. Uh, there'll be an interim report um, prepared from each of the, the conversations and all of that will come together in terms of, of a final report uh, next year sometime, which is quite timely in that it'll be five years after the publication of CEDRA and really it's a good time to, to take stock. Before I start, I'd just like to thank all of those for being involved. It's, it's a really good turnout here, um, some huge expertise here in the room. Um, so um, firstly, thank you for your all busy people um, for giving of your time to give to the process. And I hope um, it can have an impact for the Royal Academy, the department, for the support in, in driving this. Um, from my office, my colleagues here who are uh, involved in the organization locally, and um, particularly uh, Felicity, uh, Keller at the back of the room, who really drove this on and, and made it happen. Uh, um, so she's one of the, the, the prime uh, movers of the, of the concept. So it's essentially a short analysis, basically pulling to get together data from different sources um, to look at what's been happening uh, in rural Ireland um, over, the last, uh, over the last decade or so um, in order to, to present a, a context in which we can uh, carry our deliberations. I think there's no other area like rural issues to, be, to have so much anecdote and, and emotion around it and actually relatively little um, uh, knowledge and information um, that, is, that is disseminated, particularly in, in media channels. Um, so as context, we are, when I presented something like this during CEDRA, we were down towards the bottom of the cycle. This is, this is the red line is employment, and the blue line is the employment rate. Uh, the numbers in work now are, are back above the peak in, in, the previous, in the previous boom. However, we've seen population growth over that time, so the employment rate is still a little bit below. But we're, we're, we're in recovery for six years, and actually we're probably, nationally, we'd probably have to start thinking about um, 
uh, a, 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 a medium-term dip and, and change in fortunes, um, given the length of the recovery in the cycle. Um, if you look at uh, from the, the lowest point of the cycle to the present, the, the sectors that have been, been growing, um, we see things like agriculture, construction, hotels and food and tourism, ICT sector, professional sector, as being the growth sectors. And, and they're all, many of them, agriculture, construction, tourism, are areas where there are very clear opportunities in rural areas. But if you were to look back before that, to go back to 2007 and to look at the previous peak, we see a, a restructuring of the economy. Here, you, you don't see the same growth in agriculture and construction, which were very significantly affected in the downturn, particularly construction. Really, what you see there is recovery. Um, rather, you see growth across ICT, professional health, administration has been big growth over the last couple of years in the, in the, in the surveys. And um, I guess a point of concern is that about 60% of the employment in rural areas, um, particularly outside the, the towns, is, is, is focused in agriculture and construction. And there are areas that um, haven't grown since the, the previous crisis compared to 25% of the state. So it is a challenge of trying to restructure the rural economy to benefit from the growth sectors um, that we see um, are probably disproportionately in, in the cities. If we look at regional growth in employment, um, this is all proportional between 2012 and 2017. Um, we see uh, big growth in Dublin and commuting areas uh, like in the, in the border, um, southeast, southwest, and um, flat in, relatively flat in the Midlands, a little bit of growth in the west. And in the 2017 data, it was still lower in the Midwest. Uh, a bit of a concern for for researchers is the, uh, the CSO has changed the, the data that they use for, for uh, employment and regional um, data is not yet available on the, on the CSO website. So the most recent uh, available data at a regional level is on uh, is 2017. If you look at the live register, which is not really a measure of employment, but it can be accessed at a, at a more local level and more timely than um, the labor force survey, the green areas, it's hard to see, but the colors there are areas with, with, with higher growth, and the red areas um, with, with less growth. And that band across the Midlands up into the Northwest um, is an area that has seen lower um, recovery in, in, in unemployment. If you look at the national accounts in terms of household income per person and uh, gross value added per person, so the one on the left relates to the income we, we, we bring home, and the GVA is a measure of the economy. And there can, there can be a difference for all sorts of reasons. Um, um, people commute from one area to another, their um, pro, um, profits and, 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 and so on. But we see a very clear story there. Red is 2007 to 2011. Uh, blue is 2007 to 2015. Um, only in Dublin, do we see higher levels of um, per person uh, household income and higher GVA per, per capita in the most recently available data? I imagine that's a little bit better now, but there is a, there is a bit of a lag. But I guess the, the key point here is divergence, divergence between Dublin, which recovered more quickly and is clear here and in some of the employment data, um, and um, has recovered more slowly in, in other regions outside Dublin. 
The next graphic, there's lots of lines in it. Um, again, on the right, we have GVA and per, uh, per capita, and on the left, that's the economy. On the left, we have households. And what these are, these are regional values relative to Dublin. And so if we see an increase in the lines, we see convergence of areas um, to be more like Dublin. And if we see a decrease, we see divergence um, from Dublin. And so on the, on the right, we see relatively slow gradual decline for most regions relative to Dublin as they essentially, it's a long run concentration of, of the economy in and around Dublin. On the left, we see household income. And actually, uh, prior to the previous um, peak, we saw convergence as uh, much of the, uh, the growth in, in areas like construction in that period um, at, at employment income gains in, in rural areas. But since the, the crash and into the, the start of the recovery, we have seen continued divergence in household incomes. And so, um, and I think that that's different to, to, to previous recoveries. So that is a, it's quite a substantial challenge for, um, for, for um, rural development. Um, this is the most recent census data where um, we looked at the, the characteristics of the employment rate in different types of areas, open countryside villages, towns of different sizes, the different cities, and, again, and, the, and the lesson here is higher employment rate in rural towns. And, and often when we think of rural Ireland, we lump it all together. But rural Ireland is hugely diverse. It's hugely diverse between the, the countryside, between types and sizes of towns and cities, between location. Um, very different between commuting areas near cities and towns that are outside of um, commuting zones. This is some work um, that we had looked at in Cedra. And it's, it's, there's a lot of numbers here. But essentially, what, what is it telling us? On the, on the right, uh, okay, on the left is, is the poverty rate um, is higher in smaller towns than in cities. But something that's a very significant challenge when you're looking at rural economic development is the issue of jobless households. Jobless households are more difficult to get back to work than households where there's a single person um, out of work and there's other people in work. You have risks of intergenerational issues, you have less motivation, you have less role models um, closer at hand. And fully one third um, this goes back a number of years of, um, of households in, in small towns were jobless compared to about 20% in cities, which is it's quite substantial in Ireland. It'll be lower now, but in terms of rural economic development, that divide between the small towns and the cities is a, is a big challenge. David Meredith and, and I, who here um, worked on a rural towns index when I, when I worked in Chagask, um, I updated it. Um, last year, it's essentially an index of performance of towns as a function of their uh, unemployment rate and their migration rate. And um, essentially, the stronger towns under that index are in green here, and the weaker towns are in red. And they match the, the earlier maps of unemployment where um, the stronger towns are around the cities and the weaker towns are across the Midlands and, and up into the, into the northwest. And if you compare that with our work that we did on the 2011 census, where the greens are the ones which have gotten better and the reds have gotten uh, uh, worst, we see that the improvements have occurred there around Dublin and, and around Cork. Again, more evidence of this divergence um, of, of economic growth 
that, the, that we've essentially had a twin speed recovery with greater recovery in and around the cities and slower uh, recovery in, uh, in more distance, distant rural areas. But a, a situation whereby the, the rural areas near cities are, are quite substantially different to those that are further away. And just to summarize, there have been very many policy, positive policy developments. I think that the landscape is substantially better now than it was uh, a decade ago. Uh, rural economic development is really front and center of national policy making, um, where it wasn't um, a decade ago. We've seen CEDRA. We've seen ministers and junior ministers and departments being established to implement the plan. There have been significant developments. Uh, we've seen recently the Rural Regeneration Fund as part of 2040 with the, with the billion euro. That's very welcome. So there is much greater focus. However, natural economic forces have been accelerating at a, at a faster rate than areas that perhaps need a little more, more um, state involvement in encouragement, not just public sector jobs, but um, public sector-led strategies to, to, to grow uh, the economy. And, and uh, we've continued to see divergence as we've come into, into recovery. These were the, the objectives sum summarized um, from, from CEDRA that the key challenges are twofold. One is the short term, is to create more employment in rural areas. I think that's still true. It's better than it was um, in 2012, uh, but there's still more to do, in particularly in the more remote areas. Um, and then there's a longer-term strategy of reskilling and restructuring the nature of employment to take advantage of areas that are more likely to grow and more likely to lead to not just to jobs but to better jobs. I think that's a key challenge. Um, in terms of rural economic development, um, we need to find mechanisms, uh, and I think it is a national priority to, to balance uh, economic development, so to counterbalance in some way the natural economic forces that... Um, result in growth in, in cities. And an interesting thing is often when we think of, of growth and the focus on cities, um, we focus ma mainly on the, on the economy. But if you actually look at, at people and where people want to live, when you have all that growth and the consequent pressures on, on urban environments, you get a desire to live further out. And one of the things we've seen with the development of motorway networks and public transport is that as the transport connections improved, that people have moved further out. People are willing to travel a certain amount. Um, and so we have these huge uh, commutes, as, as I do, uh, into, into our cities every, every morning. Um, one of the key things is in rural economic development is because there's so many facets to it. It's really cross-cutting. It needs cross-cutting coordination. And I would say, even though there is more coordination of policy and programs, Having worked in a, in, a, in a development agency, I think there's more room um, for improvement in terms of sub-national coordination of, of national um, uh, objectives. There's no silver bullet. There won't be one single thing that we can find. Um, but there will be job opportunities in, in three areas, I would say. One, building upon the resources that exist in our areas, whether it be agriculture, marine, tourism, the creative sector, renewables, cultural economy. Two is the exporting sector, that's often FDI, city-based, and it's about either facilitating rural areas to get the infrastructure to bring this, these sectors to rural areas, or probably more likely 
to get the, the skills to people living in rural areas and the capacity to commute into the jobs that occur in cities without the congestion and, uh, and, and problems we have in doing that. And then lastly, it's the biggest sector, and often ignored, is the domestic demand. Services supplying the people who live and work in, in the rural economy. That, again, was disproportionately hit in the crisis as, as we saw people cut back more in rural areas than in, uh, in, in, in urban areas. So um, we might start the, the feedback now. We have, th we have eight tables, we've got three questions, but we only have 45 minutes. So what, what I'm proposing, uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm proposing to do is to spend a little longer on about three tables and then go around the remaining tables for people to add uh, additional things that haven't been covered um, because I, I think it's impossible to get around um, uh, eight tables uh, in, that, in that period of time. So what I'm going to do is, I'm, for, for each question, I'm going to start with um, separate rows. I'm going to start with, with this row over here um, to, to kick off feedback and then come this way, and then I'll come around for any additional points for the others. So we'll spend about three minutes for the first three tables and a minute or two with, with, with the others, and we'll try to, we'll try to stay on track. Um, we've, we've kept time very well this evening, um, but we still have to hit, hit the final deadline of getting you out of here um, for those trains. So question one is, what are the areas of greatest potential for economic growth in rural communities, and how can we position ourselves um, to take advantage of these? So it's really, what are the opportunities out there and, and capacity to deliver? So I don't know who is feeding back from, I don't know what the number of the table is, but on the, on the, on the opposite there, the, the bottom left table, if, if you wouldn't mind um, uh, feeding back your thoughts. And if, and if you um, would give your uh, notepads to um, the team at the end of the day, we'll, we'll, we'll take those and assemble them into our, our reports. All right, the first question, areas of greatest potential for economic growth in rural communities and how we can position ourselves to take advantage of these. Okay, the feeling around the table was that the areas of growth and potential are renewable energy, marine, agriculture, fisheries, freshwater, domestic economy, and tourism. It was felt that we need to position ourselves by supporting communities with finance, leadership, to allow communities to take ownership themselves and become more professionalized. And that we needed to look at the capacity within each community, as there is huge potential in these areas to grow. Um, communities are in competition with each other, so they need to be innovative. And there are opportunities for communities to collaborate to ensure efficiencies of scale and opening the opportunities for foreign markets. We also have the advantage in rural Ireland of lower rents, and we felt that this was also an advantage compared with um, urban areas. So that's, that's it from table three for question one. Do you we, want me to go we, on to question two? No, we'll, we'll move on. We'll just stick with question one first, yeah. I think, and then we'll come back to question two. Sorry, we took a, a thematic approach here, and in terms of the sectors, uh, they've been outlined there, so I won't go back over them, but in terms of the opportunities from a thematic point of view, climate change obviously represents an enormous challenge, but within that there are opportunities as well, and examples were given around uh, really setting challenges around renewable energy and scaling it out from, we'll say, the farm scale, identifying ways of uh, taking farms off-grid effectively, uh, but then scaling that out to the community level and up and beyond that 
and availing of the development of the gas network so we can feed into that now. So it isn't a case of the gas network being a supply, but also taking back renewable energy that's produced uh, through farms and community-based uh, energy uh, schemes. That then feeds into uh, supporting initiatives such as Origin Green. It provides a response to Brexit in terms of uh, future-proofing uh, vulnerable sectors, uh, and it adds value to other sectors such as tourism as well. So there's, there's a whole host of issues that can be taken in uh, as an opportunity in terms of how we respond to climate change. The other area uh, relates to the, the micro uh, enterprise area. This is an area where rural areas have a natural advantage. There's a lot of micro enterprises. It is the main uh, stay of uh, the rural economy. And it's a case then of supporting innovation around that through the agencies that are already in place being flexible in terms of how they deliver their services and supports. Uh, and to understand that it is a numbers game that, you know, for every 300 uh, startups that you might see or people with an idea, you get three at the end of it uh, that go through to the business planning phase. Okay, thanks, David. Next table here. Great. Um, thanks. I think um, we had mentioned uh, several of the areas that were already mentioned there, but I think we also kind of suggest suggested that in order to um, capitalize and to position or to enhance economic growth within different areas, I think one of the things that we needed to do, first of all, was make sure that there was um, strategic planning going on within an area and collaborative planning as well, that uh, the bottom-up areas of potential or the se sectors of growth, that they are areas that people have, that there's planning and there's collaboration in the planning, that the different areas, right from the community-based to the authorities, right to the policy area, that there's collaboration in that planning. And in looking at that then, we've seen huge potential, particularly in the area of tourism as far as rural areas, but maybe niche tourism as well. We spoke about ecotourism and we spoke about uh, different type of maybe educational tourism, which resonates with work that we do here in the university as well. Um, but all of these areas need to be place-based within the particular rural area that they're based. They need to be part of the area in order that for them to be developed properly. Social enterprise was something that we also felt that maybe on a smaller base could be a huge advantage to different kind of communities. Um, to make sure that we position ourselves to take advantages of these, of course, we'll probably speak extensively about the challenges of broadband later, but we did feel that we needed to make sure that to position ourselves to take advantages of these, that we needed to put these type of um, facilities, services in order, particularly broadband. Okay, um, we'll continue here. Yep, the far one in the middle. Thank you. Um, I was blessed with a very pragmatic, uh, practical group, so thanks very much for your input for everybody. Um, maybe not to pick up one to repeat what people have said. Um, social enterprise resonated on this table also in particular as, a, as an opportunity. And one area that hasn't been mentioned yet was that uh, local retail, I suppose, a trend to move from the online and the opportunity that uh, small retail actually has turned out to be, in some cases, more resilient through the, the change. So that is an opportunity, and a number of our speakers spoke around that. In terms of the, the things that um, need to be developed in terms to take advantage of these opportunities, uh, broadband, 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 and broadband. Um, and maybe, I suppose, the, we spoke a lot around positive discrimination um, in terms of policies and programs, so that 
while that is starting to happen, there's a greater focus needed when looking at uh, the rural economy at those programs that are out there and the regulations associated with them that they are positively disposed to the, the particular characteristics of the rural economy. Thank you. The next table here. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, I suppose we started off with a bit of a struggle over defining what it is that we meant by rural, um, which uh, was an issue that we came back to at the end. And I think with some form of agreement over an audit in terms of understanding the different types of ruralities. But to echo what other tables have said with regards to particular sectors, we might add in the cultural and creative because one would feel that that is um, a particularly unique opportunity for um, rural-based entrepreneurs. But a, a key point that we touched on was people and um, that being of, um, uh, that kind of led us into this area of, of social capital as well, which we thought was something of a unique kind of, dare I say, competitive edge for rural economies relative to uh, urban economies. And uh, a better understanding being needed as to the role that social capital is played, how it is we can facilitate it, how it is we can boost social entrepreneurship uh, in rural regions. So. Okay, we'll continue this way, I think. The last three the, from the bottom right. We have mentioned most of what you already have mentioned before, but um, there was a few things additional to this. Um, the lifestyle, we agree with you, but social capital definitely is something to sell and something to promote, and we feel that it's underutilized and underexplained and not, a, not something that we do very well. The food sectors um, was mentioned briefly previously, but also this opportunity to develop businesses in them, cookery uh, schools, food schools, there's a huge amount of um, opportunities in that. The one thing that I haven't heard mentioned hugely was this idea of remote working. We don't necessarily need to be have develop a new business. We actually need the infrastructure to allow people to remote work. And that came, that associated with quality of life was very strong on this table. We need to put infrastructure to allow for that because the area will, is attractive in itself, but we can't get people to work here from the bigger industries, from overcrowded cities, because the infrastructure isn't there. The space, it's about spaces, um, and to use those spaces appropriately. Every town, every small community has these spaces, and it's incubi incubation spaces we need and um, remote working. We mentioned all the other things that people had said, the marine sector, underdeveloped spaces, farming, carbon, footprints, etc. We mentioned all those in micro in industries. The one thing we did talk about in challenges, which we went back to actually nearly on every question, was the policy. The lack of support nationally for the rural community. And even at EU level, there's a lot of really good policies developed, and it's really up to uh, the government in Ireland to adopt them. We'll come back to them in the future. The infrastructure is problematic. We did mention about planning. If you actually are going to develop a new business, there is barriers in our planning system that prohibits that. Um, and how we position ourselves, the joining of the dots, there's a huge amount of really good stuff going on, but we do need to figure out how all of that works together. We need facilitators, and we need to facilitate this ourselves, and we need companies to, 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 to work together to understand how we can actually join those dots. And there's practical things. We need political will, and we need prioritization out of the big urban areas. And that is, is lacking, and that issue of positive discrimination is felt on this table as well. Thank you. Okay, the second last table here in the middle. Thank you. With relation to question one, food production was um, uh, a major issue identified here. The issues around branding and place-based approaches to, uh, to branding food production. Emphasis on short food chains, on organic production, on 
niche in arts and foods. These are all seen as key opportunities. However, the challenge would be the need to invest in, um, in food research and in appropriate production facilities. In relation to agritourism, another key area that we identified, this requires a more balanced approach where there is um, perhaps overemphasis on it in some areas, um, oversupply of agritourism in some areas, and not enough access developed in, um, in others. Um, in relation to renewable energy, we also feel that there are potentials there, but there have been some false dawns in relation to biomass production, for example. We discussed briefly the use of waste product from food production and other areas as um, another possibility for energy production. We also discussed the farm succession problem as one that impacts on agriculture, on the agricultural sector and on associated sectors. And there needs to be more imaginative approaches around income supports, um, around other approaches to deal with, um, with the farm succession um, uh, problem. Some are already there in terms of farm partnerships, but more needing to be done. Thanks. Last table. I think most things have been covered um, at this stage, but a few things that we, a big thing at this table was the, the hubs. Uh, we see them as a huge potential in the, in the various uh, regions. From a networking and social perspective, uh, for people who are co-working co out of Dublin or in the, in the bigger urban areas, so remote working was, was very big here. Building small enterprises then from that, um, also going into the large multinationals and looking at the skill sets mm -hmm. and seeing how you can do the flexible working um, and working with the multinationals to develop that further. Um, then leveraging the local skills, uh, so retired business professionals, working with people in the region who have um, a lot of skills that they can offer back uh, to small enterprises um, and trying to get those connections. Then building linkages between the further education and third level, um, having lead innovation brokers in, in the region. Small towns was also mentioned um, as establishing identity of all the small towns, um, which we think is quite a big thing and needs to be done. And lastly, leveraging international connections. So the diaspora was brought up at this table. And, um, and outside of that, it doesn't have to be just the diaspora, but um, how do we draw on that? I think it's a huge thing, particularly from this region. And how do we work on that and develop it further? Terrific. So we're now uh, on to the second question. Uh, what are the challenge opportunities um, um, facing Rural in regard to emerging sectors, new technologies, changing skill requirements, and new ways of working in Brexit. So if we start in the middle this time at the end, and we'll weave the same way. Um, so the middle table, please. Okay. Um, so a couple of points that came up in terms of uh, opportunities in particular were uh, service provision in rural areas. I think somebody mentioned quality of life. That's services are required to maintain and attract people into rural areas but they should be designed around quality of life and that there's some gaps in terms of the so policy supports that are there for that. Um, we talked around I suppose the, the issue of skills um, and that the need for some skills mapping to be done in the, the rural areas uh, both to identify reskilling but also where that could be used as a positive to attract new skills into the regions. Um, I think we, somebody touched on it earlier on in terms of this education and training and upskilling and supporting diversification, um, more outreach in terms of education and training, capacity building through either the ETBs, the IOTs and, and the universities and new innovative models of providing that. Um, we talked about the opportunity for hubs. In terms of Brexit, a particular issue around uh, small farmers, 
Suckler Farm has been one particular example that, you know, if they disappear, they're not just gone from an agricultural perspective, but there's a whole component of the social and rural infrastructure has disappeared. And the associated upstream and downstream jobs located uh, associated with those. But Brexit then, on the other hand, has the opportunities for rural areas, some opportunities to attract new uh, enterprise into rural areas uh, from the UK, potentially. And then an interesting debate around optimization of space within uh, rural towns, for example, the, the upper floors, and there's some innovative ideas about how those could be developed through some collaboration um, to and supported by the public sector to properly develop alternative accommodation models and enterprise space models and broadband. Okay, in terms of um, opportunities for emerging sectors, we um, identified food, creative industries, culture, tourism, the care sector, uh, the green economy, the blue economy. In terms of opportunities for new technologies, um, green tech, broadband is an opportunity, uh, future skills development, then in terms of skills requirements, uh, online learning, uh, promoting lifelong learning, in terms of new ways of working, uh, e-working, both from home and in hubs, and then opportunities for Brexit, certainly in terms of fintech, and also promoting um, rural Ireland as a location for non-EU mobile investment, looking to break into the EU markets with English as a main language, and then also another opportunity is supporting local. Then in terms of challenges, challenges in terms of emerging sectors, there is sustainability, depopulation, and then diversification, particularly in relation to agriculture, uh, new technologies, uh, broadband availability, planning difficulties, and skills to adapt, the ability of people to be able to adapt and take on new skills. In terms of skills requirements, um, understanding the future needs of skills. What sort of skills, what sort of jobs will there be there in three or five years' time? And then uh, changing the way that we learn. And certainly for some people, there is a fear of learning. So breaking down that fear is certainly a challenge. In terms of new ways of working, infrastructure, for instance, maybe having more hubs provision. And then the openness of employers was identified as a potential issue, you know, that they're open to enabling their workers to uh, remote work. And then in terms of Brexit, uh, there are challenges like market diversification, increasing the level of innovation, um, enabling companies to be more competitive, and then there's also the challenge of potential increase in, in imports. Thank you. And um, we'll move down to the bottom right now. Thank you. We mentioned most of what you already had up there, but I suppose I'd like to draw, what we'd like to draw your attention to really is the skills gap, the, the dying away skills gap, because what we're finding is some of the industries that are, we mentioned in question one that came up again, you know, agriculture, marine, etc. the skills actually are not there. Skills have evolved, the old skills that you actually do still need and the new skills with the new technologies. But the old skills, there is a definite gap there. So for this table, there really does need to be something about that. If we're going to utilize and reach our full potential in the previous mentioned question, then we need to do something about people and skilled. And 
providing training and learning opportunities that are appropriate and named appropriately that, that will attract. And there was a comment, not everybody needs to go to higher education, but they do go to higher education. And that is a problem because then you don't have people who are skilled to work in some of these industries. Digital literacy imbalance between the young and the old and even within the digital literacy skills people actually have was also a challenge to it. In terms of the sectors emerging, everybody has spoken really about those. For Brexit, um, there is a concern. There's positive and negatives to it. The connectivity is a, is a problem. We're concerned about it. We are already removed from a lot of parts of the world. And with this, this could be also hugely problematic for us. Um, again, priorities around that, about adopting EU policy. We're still part of the EU. But the biggest problem with Brexit is nobody knows what way it's going to go. And there's a huge amount of uncertainty. So we don't know if it's going to be positive or if it's going to be negative. But we do think there's a lot of opportunities with it. It's about changing the way we do things. It'll, it should allow us a chance to stand still for a moment and look at what we're doing and see, can we change it? Is there new markets that we didn't previously get? There was a great example at the table of new ideas because of Brexit um, and better markets. There is obviously opportunities of the biofuels, renewable gas, issues about value added. It is going to challenge the way we work and we need to challenge the way we work because we need to, to be 2018 onwards and we need to be thinking about the next 50 years ahead of us. Um, in terms of the community, there is challenges if we're trying to regenerate communities, there is a challenge within the community itself, the structure. There is a disconnect because people aren't really engaging in their local community, not everywhere, but in some places. And we need to find a way that they actually regener regenerate the communities themselves. Find an easy way for funding for initiatives rather than little piecemeal funding. Find a one-stop shop, possibly. Uh, find a way to streamline forms, application process, simple things that would make a huge difference to people who are trying to um, work from home, live at home, stay in the community and build up the communities in the future. And we did say there's a very easy positive. We need the media. The media needs to talk about the good news in rural community, not the negative news. And there is a piece about the profile of local communities that's easily fixed. It's probably one of the easiest and the most cost-effective fixes that need and could occur. The rest has been said before. Thank you. Thank you. Um, in terms of opportunities, one of the uh, interesting ones in relation to Brexit is, it's just been pointed out to me by Shane, that we're going to be the only English-speaking country in the, in the EU if Brexit goes ahead. Other opportunities could relate, I think it's been mentioned, to the relocation of businesses from, from the UK to here or other mm -hmm. businesses who decide to, to locate here. Um, the challenges, many of them have been mentioned, but the key one here was in relation to broadband, um, in, in relation to the agricultural sector in particular and aquaculture, uh, that so much of the um, business now of agriculture and aquaculture is technology-based and that it could really impact seriously on the competitiveness of the, of the sector. We also talked about the, the um, need for further educational supports, particularly business supports for entrepreneurs, um, to build the confidence and, and capacity of um, small, um, small business, um, business owners. Other Brexit concerns related to additional export costs, possibly in terms of accessing markets in the in the, um, the UK, um, and some of the challenges relating to the image of a clean environment in, in Ireland, that this could also be our opportunity, but that again, there have been some false dawns in, in this, this regard. So the other points have been made broadly by the other, the other uh, tables at this stage. So the, the remaining four tables, might just pick out any, any additional points 
Um, to add to that, um, this table here, please. Um, one thing, I suppose, it was already touched on, but just we made it a bigger in the last one. So the one strategic hub in each county and then shared, spe shared spaces, sorry, in communities and then linking them together. So having lots of different shared spaces um, within a county and then having one major hub and kind of, I suppose, putting the the uh, investment into that and, and linking them all together and, and link that to a third level institution. Uh, educating leaders, policy makers in the region was very important as well. Uh, sometimes it's seen as a bit of a parochial, um, it's, 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 it's approached in that nature. So develop and sell the regional, develop the dialogue and get rid of any negative connotations with we felt that the rural thing had a lot of negativity. Um, just trying to, two other things that weren't mentioned, I don't, I don't think, migrant communities as well, perhaps looking at upskilling, facilitate programs, understand the needs and look at resources. Um, and libraries was mentioned as well. Informa they're seen, I suppose, at the moment as more so places where you go and you get your book, but perhaps they could be turned into more information centres. Um, so that's another opportunity. The, the far end. Okay, I'll try and touch on what hasn't been covered already. Um, one of the challenges that was felt at this table was really that people in communities, while they want jobs now, they don't want just jobs, they want careers. That can be a difficulty. And the resources, I suppose, to deal with all of the challenges, that there are loads of resources out there, but sometimes there are difficulties with applications. And it was felt that you'd really need a high level of education, in some cases, to apply for these or to complete them. Um, and that a funding was maybe provided directly to the communities to develop their areas, um, it might be more beneficial. There's limited access to training, I know it was already covered and we had it here as well. Um, but just one other element we had was possibly to include more work experience and training so that um, those going into employment had the necessary required skills, you know, such as apprenticeships. And and for the training needs to be met going forward to meet the demands, um, not just to keep rolling out the same courses. And that there was a need to create a platform similar to the J1 where third level students can come here for placement to industries such as the hospitality sector. And we also felt that the new technology has the potential to damage our people's skills such as interpersonal and empathy. With regard to the Brexit, um, there's the potential for 1.5 million jobs in Europe for the blue ocean economy, and we need to tap into that industry and start preparing um, to service this. And we need to be moving into the space of complementary health in addition to tourism, such as wellness and relaxation. And the hemp industry, we need to tap into that, that there is the potential for several hundred jobs, we felt, um, in this state for that. And we touched on the migrants as well, so I won't go into that part. That's what we have apart from everything else. Thank you. Last one, David. In terms of some of the points that haven't been picked up on so far, uh, around the opportunities and challenges, these are, of course, differentiated in different types of rural areas. So there isn't, as Carl said at the outset, a silver bullet solution that's going to take care of all rural areas. So there's the need for that tailoring of strategies to the resources uh, and challenges in particular areas. In terms of key points, um, first and foremost, there are supports there for enterprise development. They need to be sustained and they need to be put on a sustainable footing. And specifically here, that uh, references the regional skills for ensuring that those are well resourced, that there's a clear career path working in those four in the years ahead to ensure that they, they stay in those positions. Uh, there's an, a need to extend uh, that service 
to ensure that there's greater um, greater integration between business needs and uh, skills development within the regions. And as part of that skills development, there's looking at the current resources, hu current human resources that, that are there in terms of opportunities to refocus, reskill or upskill um, the labor force. And in relation, final point, in relation to the labor force, that uh, whilst there's a lot of supports there to engage more and more people in the labor force, uh, there's also necessary supports that are, are required around elder care and childcare to ensure that those people who do want to go out to work can do so by availing, availing of these other services. Thanks, David. Our last one. Really, I think we've had uh, quite a few of the points raised. Just a couple of additional ones. Uh, in relation to broadband, of course, it's an issue, but we also felt that um, the creation of things like digital hubs and smart towns and villages, which is a, a policy initiative of Europe at the moment, uh, driving into different uh, local authorities here in Ireland. And But we felt in order for those to work, that areas and locations needed to be attractive. And in order sometimes for those to be attractive, we needed integrated policies. We needed all policies kind of working towards that. Uh, in relation to broadband, we also felt that um, there are low-cost solutions out there uh, that have great potential. There were some very good examples within Mayo itself um, where low-cost solutions were uh, initiated and provided some excellent uh, uh, digital kind of awareness in and around that. In relation to skills that were needed, we also felt that there needed to be a vision about what the skills, so again, that's where our planning and kind of skills mapping kind of ideas came into um, place. And we needed to kind of make sure that um, policy was aligned with the ambition from the communities, that both uh, groups came together. And again, an initiative as far as Mayo were concerned, that this idea of um, finding out what the community wanted in relation to what the local authorities could offer and trying to combine the two areas and solutions. In relation to Brexit, uh, we did feel as far as an opportunity was concerned that Ireland is definitely a landing point for the United States and we should really drive this idea forward. But there was also challenges then, uh, particularly price pressures for local producers and isolation in relation to very peripheral uh, areas within Ireland. Uh, again, Derry, Letter, Kennedy were mentioned in particular as far as isolation and issues that could arise for Brexit. So I suppose needing to keep those peripheral regions in our vision as well. Okay, question three. So it's focusing on, on enablers. Um, so what actions are required to a, assist rural entrepreneurs and businesses to diversify into new sectors and b, to further develop traditional sectors like agriculture, tourism and, and forestry? Last question, we're going to start this end and come around. We were focusing in on actions. So a lot of what has been said in the previous two questions will come up again in here. The actions, we do think there's an issue at policy level. So we start with the, the macro level, the policy itself, some of it needs to change. Some of it needs to adopt the EU policy around particular things because they will have, if they're adopted, it will have impact for us along this side of the country and all over rural Ireland. So we do feel that that's really important. We do acknowledge that funding is available, but we do feel that the more work needs to be done about how to, for people to understand the funding mechanisms, the supports that are available, how to uh, 
adopt them, the concentration, there is a concentrated funding and try and figure out a way. There was a good suggestion about um, this, this idea of taking all these different uh, government departments, look after little bits and pieces, and perhaps they all should come together in this notion of kind of top slicing and putting it in a one-stop one, one shop, as I mentioned before. Collaboration, yes, in order for any action to work or any of this to work, you will have people working together, government departments working together, NGOs working together, and there needs to be a mechanism and structure set up to facilitate this. We ended up talking about centralised decision-making and the fact that a lot of these things now are centralised, and we're not quite sure that's a good or a bad thing. It's good in some respects, but does take out the local, the local out of decision-making, and that could actually further alienate small communities. We, we did talk about... Um, we need some structure, let us invest. We talked about actually the lot, a lot of public buildings that are no longer occupied for whatever reason and they could be used for the hubs or they could be used for new businesses. There was, um, you know, they are, they could take mass for broadband. These things aren't been used and they should really be utilised in order to facilitate some of the previously mentioned ideas. Um, they, we did talk about is there a place for rural assemblies or rural parliaments? The rural assemblies are obviously going to have more statutory roles in the, in the near future, and that's currently been developed. And will that actually allow for more engagement with our local community? And is that an action then that can facilitate the building up of communities? There was, there is going to be some some, some rural parliament set up, taken over in a Scandinavian mo model, and that's really about getting the voice of the local, which is key in community development for successful com community development. Um, we talked about uh, funding. Yes, funding. We went back to funding again and we talked about public-private partnerships. It doesn't necessarily all have to come from the state and that's really important. We talked about training and we did acknowledge that different sectors do have different training needs, but in its totality there is a deficit of training that can facilitate the growth of the rural communities um, because there is a deficit in knowledge and skills in particular areas. The connectivity, yes, the rails, the roads, the IT from Derry down right down, I mean the road from Sligo to Galway is is not a great road, we all know this, and that does prohibit some of the integration that we need. Um, we talked about education again, came back up on this question again. We talked about its um, innovation and creation, creativity, um, and not just to talk about that it occurs in cities, that it occurs in the communities, it occurs in social entrepreneurship, and we need to get that message out there. And then an action needs to be about the, the value of innovation and creativity in the rural rather than the city spaces. Um, and not just in the crowded spaces, because you're trying to facilitate and sell a quality of life, and you have that, but you have to have the talent pool here, and the difficulty is convincing people that that talent pool exists. And we need to be visible in this, and we talked about websites, and we talked about one county that's particularly good at promoting themselves, their presence is pretty good, and that probably others should adopt that. And we should sell our success and raise our profile. So it goes back to the things we mentioned before. There was such, and I've listened around the room, there's such really good ideas. It's how do you get them to fruition? Um, and it, the same things keep coming up, but you do need to promote your local in order to attract people into it. So that was the focus of our table. Thank, Thank you. you. Right. Um, Again, we'll just go up the, the uh, new additional points. We discussed the importance of encouraging clustering uh, of small businesses at the, at the local level, where it's been remarked that there's a, a strong reluctance often on the part of smaller enterprises to share information, to share their ideas, and to, to trust each other. Um, there's, in terms of actions, probably a need to build stronger links with academia for things like concept development, for just as an example for PDO or PGI 
development and for, for branding exercises. LAGs, um, the LEOs and other local level agencies need to be more strongly supported in their efforts to build capacity and animation among um, local businesses, local entrepreneurs, people with new business um, ideas, and that, that the supports should be as focused as possible. And an example could be the innovation voucher schemes, which allow businesses to spend money in the ways that they see is most appropriate to their needs. And the idea of more financial autonomy being uh, ceded to the local agencies, a flexibility to act in relation to the to the local context. So they're the main ones there. Thank you. This next table. Um, first of all, just um, in relation to the, there's a little bit of confusion out there in relation to what's, what's on offer for entrepreneurs and um, businesses. So the online presence needs to communicate better, uh, just to communicate the offerings and uh, better, I suppose, coordinated and communicated um, support for those who employ 10 plus people is an issue. Um, so once you go over the 10 plus people with the local enterprise offices, they don't necessarily then fall into the Enterprise Ireland category because they may not be exporting. Or, so there is no support often for those um, businesses and we feel that there should be support for them because if they employ one to two to three people, that offers a lot to the local region. Um, availability of reasonable priced and flexible space is a key one and we talked about it before. Um, and something that should be looked at. Um, then incentivize researchers in the third level. Um, two different offerings here uh, from, you could have, uh, I suppose from the student offering dissertations or group projects with the industry, and then from the academia side, um, how do they commercialize their research? That's not really going on at the moment in the region. Um, then educating people in the region, the policy makers, and bringing them together, and better collaboration between all the agencies in the region. And then we just had the different sectors. We had tourism. Uh, well, I just read out the quick points on the tourism. Uh, we had courses, part-time workers, providing support and changing the policy. New focus on innovative tourism products, uh, food trails, slow adventure tourism, uh, software uh, projects that integrate into tourism as well. Uh, then forestry, we felt lack of policy, e e economic energy and biodiversity. And then marine, we had energy, bioproducts, including medical devices, marine tourism, aquaculture, going on and on here, um, improving rural transport, that's kind of on a different slant, but agritourism then as well, uh, farm diversification, small towns, farmers markets was a key thing as well in the region, and greenways were hugely successful, and then building on the, the training that's going on and education in the region um, into all the different sectors and how we can do that better. Thank you. We have five minutes left, so I would say any key points from the remaining five tables. Well, I'll just pick up on two things. Um, we particularly focused on the, uh, or um, talked about being very focused versus, versus being very aspirational in terms of the actions that we need to address. So uh, there's lots of great ideas going around here, but particularly to be very focused in the in the short term. Um, I suppose. We, we talked about that there are lots of programs, procedures and services and supports available, but often the rural entrepreneur or the people don't have the capacity or the knowledge to access those. So I think just resonating on the point I've just read, information but also animation to support those people to access, access those services. And that it's not just all about capital support, it's often about uh, support for the longer term 
actually bid for the the funding that might be there, but also then to operate and support those new entrepreneurs and services that might be developed in the in the rural areas. Yeah, just quickly, Carl. Um, I suppose w we looked at the area of um, policy and uh, the sectoral fixation that uh, much policy has uh, in Ireland. And we wondered about how we could open that up and, and make it more flexible, recognizing that sectors are collapsing and the difference between um, industrial sectors collapsing. I think there's a need for uh, policy to recognize that and to take a more multi-sectoral approach. And just chiming in on the last point, information being key. There's a lot of knowledge in this room as to what the supports that are available, but I don't think that that kind of knowledge is a general kind of knowledge. Thank you. Okay, all right. Access to microphones, credit, language skills, infrastructure, people, and to have the applications more simplified. Um, in rural communities, enterprises to be in a collaborative way, example co-ops. And then we discussed applications for licenses that they must be simplified, example the aquaculture licenses. The need to develop pilot programs to maintain tourism around our local cultural entities, example the Chinching Coal, Kyol and Chanos. And to, that was covered. And just as I suppose for there was concern raised about our industry, our forestry industry, that there's a lot of timber being imported without checking for viruses, etc. And this is putting that sector at risk. I think I've it all covered now from this side. Okay, last two, David. Um, just adding on to the point B there, further developed traditional sectors like agriculture and tourism. Um, the point was made that we have good national strategies in place, it's a case of implementing them and then picking up on the synergies between them in terms of uh, supporting the development of new sectors and niches within them. Uh, the other point that was made around um, in terms of new technologies and how they may disrupt uh, these new sectors, it's not a case that every business will need to know how to use AI or blockchain but it's a case of understanding what those technologies are and their, their implications for uh, different types of business and businesses and their development. So that speaks to the absorptive capacity uh, of knowledge that may already be existing or be produced in the years to come. Thank you. Last table, Maureen. Similar again, we have a few additional points. Uh, I think one of the key points that was brought up was there needs again to be a collaboration between state and community and there was a feeling that there was a centralised state kind of a mindset still uh, within government at the moment and there needs to be a role for NGOs, even unions, employers to kind of come together. Uh, the state needs to support for energised communities to kind of take place. In relation to agriculture, um, we also felt that there was a social rather than an economic value for agriculture at the moment that needs to be explored, in particularly in relation to newly funded European Innovation Partnerships for Agriculture, EIP Agris, which uh, can provide a huge potential for the agricultural community into the future. It's a collaborative uh, action uh, between researchers, uh, farming community and the advisory sector as well as different NGOs to come together uh, to enhance agriculture. Out of this, there's opportunities for non-commercial development, but there's also opportunities for biodiversity. And I suppose we've seen how the burn in particular has made a huge advantage and huge inroads for the rural areas in Clare uh, as a successful element of the burn programme. 
rural entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, we also felt that there was a need to consider the language in and around a lot of the areas as far as entrepreneurship was concerned. You could have somebody who is self-employed who may not tap into particular type of policies or who should be tapping into them. And again, entrepreneurship, just to ensure that the language uh, around these are communicated properly. Again, we also had um, issues in and around succession and inheritance and planning policies for these to be ensured that agriculture in particular uh, and even small family firms within rural areas, that there was a policy developed in and around these. Well done. Uh, we're we're, we're uh, one minute ahead of schedule. So thank you very much, everybody. That was, uh, it was great. Um, I've been asked to summarize this. Uh, that's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> It's been, uh, it's been, it's so, it's such a broad topic. Uh, you can, you can see that in, in, in terms of all of the things we've spoken about today. Uh, I've been at a lot of these things, um, going back to the time of Cedra and, and subsequently. And I, I would say this is probably one of the best conversations that I've experienced. I mean, I think it reflects the, the knowledge and interest and capacity of people here in the room. And really, congratulations to everybody who brought together a group such as yourselves, it's, it's hard to do. So thank you all for, for, for participating. Um, my sense actually is that the general degree of awareness and thought in relation to rural development issues is, is stronger now. I think it reflects the, that change narrative, that cha change priority at, at all levels um, of government, of agencies, of, of businesses. Um, there, there, people are, 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 I guess, are more experienced in terms of what we've gone through. And I think that bodes well in terms of um, delivering the ideas that have been spoken about here and, um, and implementing them. So whistle-stop summary. I, I, was, I was trying to take notes, and thanks to Felicity and Pauline, who also taken notes, so we're going to try and assemble this together into, in terms of an interim report and uh, a report next year. I guess a lot of the focus, if we're thinking of sectors, has been on the rural resource sector, ag, tourism, uh, energy, uh, culture and creative. Um, a bit on domestic, uh, probably didn't come through as much of the, the, the conversation as at some of the tables I heard, in term, but that's probably still the biggest sector. Room for a lot of innovation and um, really underpins an idea that has come out across a lot of the conversations about making um, but the strengths of rural areas about being related to quality of life and to enhance that to make them more attractive for people to, to live in, um, to work in, and, and to visit. Um, the discussions around FDI and export sectors were a lot around um, remote working, hubs, uh, uh, commuting. Um, a lot of focus on, on the importance of social capital, and the and a different maybe a slightly different form of enterprise in terms of social enterprise and and social enterprise doesn't necessarily mean the provision of social services, but rather businesses that build upon local skills and strengths. The co-op sector in Ireland is, is is a terrific example, where businesses are set up locally, with local capital, local skills, and have become major multinationals and, and conglomerates. And Kevin Heaney down the back here. Um, is head of a, a really terrific, I would call it a social enterprise, I don't know if they re regard it in, in Connemara West, but it is a community-owned business um, and um, pooling capital and skills to establish uh, businesses. Um, um, a, a lot of opportunities focused around 
small-scale business, green tech, fintech, uh, and, and so on. Uh, challenges, I suppose broadband, broadband, broadband sums it up really as is is, is one of the main ones. Um, um, but also things like the ability to adapt and take on new skills, um, some of the technological innovation challenges that for businesses that may be in traditional areas, but for them to diversify into more value-added, that um, the, 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 the knowledge, uh, innovation supports that are necessary to move them along that pathway. A lot of focus on skills in the second, second question, things like skill mapping, understanding what are the skill requirements, what are the skill existing skills, what are skill gaps, and how do you, get, how do, how do you deliver them? So the, the access piece is really important. And there was discussion of things like online learning, and, and not just um, school and university learning, but um, learning, um, lifelong learning, and changing the way we learn. Many of us will, will, will work, will, our retirement age will be 70 anyway. Certainly our graduates coming out of university now will work for 50 years. And they'll go through many careers in the, in the course of their life. And so we need the infrastructure to facilitate their skills development, not just in rural areas, but, but across the country. Um, we spoke a bit about, about e-working and, and, and how, to, how to live in rural areas, get the, the, the quality of life advantage of living in rural areas and work in, uh, in, in, in the exporting sectors that are, that are generating the incomes and values that, that I showed in my slide at the start. In terms of Brexit, probably the, big, the, the single biggest word is uncertainty. Even at the, this late stage, we still don't know what's going to happen. And um, uh, that really makes it very difficult to plan. Uh, but there are lots of advantages that we saw. Only English-speaking uh, country in the EU. And there's opportunity for bringing in new enterprise from the UK. There's landing point for the USA. Um, there, are, there are strengths, and particularly with with Dublin at Creaking Point, for us to exploit the, um, the advantage of rural areas, particularly near, uh, near the airports. Some challenges for the agricultural value chain and prices, and that there would be a spatial impact of Brexit, probably stronger in the west and north, and less so in, in, in the south. Um, and then I guess uh, finishing on policy and enabling supports, good national strategies, need for implementation, that's, that's more implementation, but also more integrated implementation, more inter-industry working. Um, that we have a, a sectoral fixation in policy terms. We often think in our silo rather than thinking broad, as we're, as we're doing here today. Many of our policies, however, are silo-based. Are silo um, change the, the mindset from being state-focused, the state must do it, to being a state being an enabler. A lot of discussion in the way that enabling might happen in terms of local enterprise support, with the focus on capacity building, not necessarily doing it, but capacity building, with less of a focus on governance and scheme administration, and more on the capacity building. So animation, and not just information, was one of the terms that was used. Confusion, there's confusion in terms of what's available, and the need to consider pathways to enable people to, to get to, to, get, to take advantage of all the supports that are there, and there are a lot, but they may be in, in different places. So lastly, the, the other enablers, um, strategic planning. Um, I think we've moved on a lot in the last 10 years, but there's more to be done um, in terms of getting everybody moving in the same direction at a local level and not just at a, at a national level. 
um, we, need, we still need to educate the leaders. We still need to inform people of the issues. So events like this and keeping on the agenda are important because, because to, to get over that anecdote and misinformation that's out there. There's still a need, given the, the divergence uh, that we see in uh, economic activity, for, for positive discrimination if we feel as a state that we want to enable balanced regional development. And I think there is a consensus. The majority, there's as many people living in, in rural towns in, in Ireland as live in the greater Dublin area. I mean, it's a very significant constituency. There's a lot of young people who will be there for the, for the foreseeable future. And so if the state is concerned about that, there is, there is a need for some positive discrimination. Yeah, I think I, think I have a whole long list of enablers here, but I, I think I touched on them and you, and you heard them. So um, I think we're a few minutes ahead of the schedule. I, it was my, my main job here today is to get us to the end of the day. Um, you had all the ideas. You, you did all the hard work. I had a relatively easy job of trying to steer us, steer such a talented group of people to finish on time. So thank you very much for all your time, for all your energy and your ideas, and I hope in putting together the report we can do justice to your contribution. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Royal Irish Academy. For more information on rural conversations, go to ria.ie.